Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Uh, We focused on the implications of the metaphor that Paul uses for church membership as part of the human body, right? I could summarize a lot of that sermon with a quote from uh, page 12 of Tom Rainer's book, I'm a Church Member. Um, in, on page 12, he says, each part has to do its work or the whole body suffers. There's a beautiful diversity in the midst of unity in the church membership. The Bible makes it clear that if one part does not do its job, the whole body does not function well. But if one part does its job well, the whole body rejoices and is stronger. So that's kind of the summary of last week's sermon. I encourage you, I encouraged you last week, I encourage you again, if you have not read this book, um, read it. If you have read it before, read it again. Um, we do have some leftover copies from uh, previous time we've gone through this. So if you don't have a copy, feel free to come get you a copy of I'm a Church Member. Um, it's a small book. You can see it's a small book, um, and it's six chapters. The way I describe it is that it is, it's easy to read, but it's not an easy read because the words and the sentences and the points that he makes are simple to understand, but, man, they hit hard sometimes because it, he kind of turns a mirror on us to show us what we should be doing as church members. And, and a lot of times, I know myself, there's a lot of times where I'm like, ooh, I've been failing in that area. I need to step it up. Um, so uh, this week, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what it means to be a functioning member of the body of Christ. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into how we function as members of a church body. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. There we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 It says 35, that's not right, 23 to 25. Um, And the title of the sermon is, I am responsible. I am responsible. And the main idea here is that we as church members are to embrace sanctification. Embrace sanctification. And so as we go through this, I have it kind of divided into three sections. There's salvation and sanctification. The second one is encouragement. And the third one is accountability. Um, I'll pray and then we'll go ahead and get into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, As we open up your word, show us how we are not like you. Show us who you are. Show us your character and help us to be transformed to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so starting in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the author says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we're going to go through this verse by verse. So let's start with verse 23. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now, the first thing here in this verse, the first thing that this points to is salvation. This seems like an obvious point, but I want to be very clear. If the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, then members of that church need to be disciples of Christ. If the church is supposed to be the body of Christ, then the members of that church need to be saved. You cannot be a member of a church if you're not saved. So we have hope because of Jesus' salvation for us. Without him, there is no hope. There is no peace in death. Without him, there is no hope and there is no peace. Without him, when we die, we all get exactly what we deserve. 
We are sinners. We have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And since he is a perfect righteous judge, because we are sinners, we will get death and eternal punishment. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came, God in the flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, and took our punishment on the cross. He died to save us. He died in our place. He was our substitution. And when we place our faith in him, we are forgiven of those sins. And we are declared righteous. We are justified. We can have hope because we will be with Jesus in heaven for all eternity. But our hope is not limited to just the afterlife. Our hope starts here and now. The gospel gives us power to address the brokenness in our lives right now. We all recognize this brokenness, whether it's our families or our work relationships, our, our physical ailments and disease, some uh, recognition that we are incapable of good and the frustration of the sin that we see in other people's lives. We see this brokenness in evil and corrupt organizations and crooked politicians. And even when we look in the mirror, we see the brokenness. But through surrender to the gospel, we can allow Jesus to fix the brokenness in our lives. Through surrender to the gospel in our relationships and gospel-centered relationships, we allow Jesus to work in those relationships and fix the brokenness of those relationships. That's pretty much what the rest of the sermon is about. It's about addressing our personal and relational brokenness through church membership. Now, before we go on, I need to give a definition. We're talking about sanctification. We've talked about sanctification before. Who can give me a definition for sanctification? Go ahead, Miss Annabelle. To be set apart. Okay. Anybody else? Sanctification? Growing to be more like Christ. All right. So when we looked at when we look at sanctification, Right, the root word there is sanctity. And sanctity means holiness. Right, so there are two definitions of holiness. One definition of holiness is to be set aside for a special purpose. The example that I give is like the special set of china, the special dishes that you only pull out once or twice a year because they're special. They're set apart for a special purpose. That's holiness. We as Christians are set apart for a special purpose by God. The other definition of holiness is to be perfect, to be sinless, to be righteous. And sanctification is the process of becoming more holy. Now, we are sinners. We just talked about that. All of us are guilty of sin, but we are forgiven. And when we are saved, we are declared holy. God says that we are holy. But then through a process of continual surrender, we are made more holy. We are made to be less sinful through Jesus's power in our lives. You've heard me say before, we will not be sinless, but we should sin less. That's sanctification. Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to slavery in the law. Through salvation, we are set free from our slavery to sin. That's amazing. Praise God for that. But Jesus has also broken our bondage to sin. We are forgiven of our sin, but we are set free from our slavery to sin. But that's only part of the equation. Not only are we set free from sin, we are set free, from, we are set free to 
a life of righteousness. According to 1 Peter 2.16, he says, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. We are set free from sin. We are set free to a life of righteousness. We are set free from sin, and we are set free and given the ability to live according to God's will in our lives. Our salvation is not a license to sin, but through faith, we are given the power to overcome sin. These two passages right here are a summary of sanctification. Set free from sin and set free to righteousness. That's what it's all about. Surrendering to Jesus so he can get the sin out of your life and empower you to follow his will. But here's the thing about sanctification. It is deeply personal, extremely personal, sometimes painfully personal. And so we want to keep it all to ourselves. We don't want to share this process with anybody else. Because in order to share a process of sanctification, other people see the sins in our life. And as deeply personal as sanctification is, the Bible does not call us to do sanctification by ourselves. The example that we're given in the Bible of sanctification is with a group of believers together united together as a local congregation of believers. That's the example that we see in Scripture. Like I said last week, we don't see the phrase church member in the Bible, but we see the example. We see the pattern set. And so we give it a name. We call it church membership. Even though that word's not in the Bible, the example is there for us. So this process of sanctification, deeply personal, but meant to be done alongside and with other believers. All right, so look at what the author of Hebrews says next. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Here in the, uh, the New Living Translation, it uses the word motivate. But other translations use words like provoke or promote or stirring up or spur one another on. The Greek word that's used here uses the prefix para or para, right? Uh, which implies a togetherness or coming alongside. We hear of parachurch ministries. These are um, ministries that are not churches, but they come alongside the church to assist in the work of the church. Um, interestingly, this specific word that new, the New Living Translation gives motivate, this specific word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's in a negative context. Right? So when Paul and Barnabas, we're reading through the book of Acts, and Paul and Barnabas are going out on a mission trip, and they have a disagreement, the Bible uses the word Strict, or sorry, a strong disagreement or a sharp disagreement on whether or not to take John Mark with them. See, Paul and Barnabas had taken John Mark with them on their first mission trip, and he kind of abandoned them halfway through. He left and, and or he stayed back in one of the other cities. And so they're going on the next mission trip. You got John, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they're going on the next mission trip, and John Mark says, yeah, I want to come too. And Paul says, no, you left us last time. You're not going with us. And Barnabas says, no, he should go with us. It says they had a sharp disagreement. And that word sharp disagreement is the same word here that we have for motivate. Hmm, interesting. The idea is at play, is the same idea at play here, right? So Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement with one another. There's that para. There's a disagreement with one another. And they were trying to convince the other person to do a certain thing, right? There's this, you see something, you disagree with it. You disagree with that person and you're trying to convince them to do something else. That's what's going on here. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
right? But this comes along without the context of disagreement. The author of Hebrews is telling us to come alongside another believer, that para alongside with, come alongside another believer and convince each other to do a certain action or actions. I really think the phrase spur one another on, that translation best captures the author's intent. Because yes, it's motivating, Sometimes it might be a, you might need a little poke in the side, right? Like the spurs on the uh, cowboy's boots. And a little poke in the side to be motivated there. But what actions are we spurring one another on to? Well, the author gives us two actions, acts of love and acts of good works. Sorry. So let's talk about these acts of love. Last week, I made a big deal about embracing the family, empathizing and, and supporting one another, right? When members are hurting, we hurt with them. When members are hurting, we come alongside them and we support them. We love them. We care for them. We provide for them when we can. When members are celebrating and rejoicing, we come alongside them and celebrate and rejoice with them. Gave a couple of examples with that last week, but th that's what we're talking about. Those are acts of love, right? We love each other by helping out when we have a need. We love each other by celebrating when somebody has a reason to celebrate. The author of Hebrews here is saying that we need to do that. Those are opportunities for love but there's more to it than just that. Not just opportunities to serve ourselves. Right? We should also be looking for ways to motivate other members to serve people outside the church. Yes, we need to be motivated to serve inside the church, but also motivated to serve others outside the church. We should be looking for opportunities for other members to use their unique gifts and talents and skills to love on other people and other members, right? So, for example, I know Laurie is a really good conversationalist, okay? So maybe I hear about a member who's lonely and needs somebody to talk to. Well, first thing I do is I call up that member and I see if there's any way that I can help them. But then after I get off the phone, maybe I'll call Laurie or send her a text and be like, hey, so-and-so you know, needs somebody to talk to, spurring her on to that act of love. I know Ms. Brenda makes a really good pound cake. You know, sometimes... We just need a little bit of love when it comes in, in, in the form of sugar and carbs, right? And so if there's a member who's hurting, I give them a call, see if there's any way that I can help them. But afterwards, maybe I hang up the phone and I call Miss Brenda or send her a text and be like, hey, so-and-so needs a little bit of pound cake love, right? It's also important to note that the author does not limit these acts of love to just other members in the church. Maybe in the course of conversation, uh, Harriet hears of one of her coworkers who's in need of something and she knows someone in the church who can help. So these church members can work together to show God's love to this person outside the church. Or maybe your neighbor has a need that we as a church can help. Maybe we can help them and show God's love in that way. So we as a church, we church members, spur one another on to these acts of love and good works. Of course, the greatest act of love is sharing the gospel with a lost person. As a church, we should be provoking one another to share the gospel with the lost around us. In the Great Commission, Jesus takes, uh, tasks us as his disciples to make disciples of all nations. That's, that is one of our responses to salvation. Jesus saves us and we respond by making disciples. But for many of us, it's easy to neglect that responsibility. But in the church, we're to motivate one another to share the gospel with lost people. Encourage each other to go out and share the gospel. Secondly, he talks about good works. Now, all those acts of love that we just talked about, 
those are those are good works too. But sometimes maybe these good works wouldn't exactly be described as acts of love. There are other ways that can that other things that can be good works, right? So one application of this would be spiritual disciplines. Uh, this includes you reading, studying, and applying scripture. As members, we encourage each other to read and study and apply scripture in your lives. Another thing that that would be, would be prayer. Right? Some of us in here are really good at being consistent prayer warriors. Others of us, we might need a little bit of spurring on, a little bit of motivation to be a little more disciplined with our prayer life. One way that I would like to see us grow is by praying specifically by name for lost people in our lives. And moving forward for our prayer meetings and in Sunday school, I'm going to be asking if you have somebody, a lost person that you know by name, that we can pray for them as a church. And speaking of prayer, in chapter four, if I'm a church member, the whole chapter is about praying for your church leaders. Obviously, a big section of that is praying for your pastor. If you're ever in need of something or someone to pray for, Pray for me. I need it. I always need the prayer. Pray for me as, as your pastor. Pray for my sermon prep. Pray for my willingness to hear and listen and follow God's direction. Pray for me as a teacher. Pray for me as a husband. Pray for me as a father. Pray that I won't fall into the devil's traps. Another spiritual discipline is Sabbath. Right? These are good works. Sabbath isn't necessarily an act of love. Right? You're not showing God's love to somebody else by you taking a Sabbath, but it is a good work. It is a spiritual discipline. Right? I'm not just talking about going to church. That comes up later, right? But Sabbath is taking time to rest in God and enjoy his presence. If we see one of our members overworked and not resting in God, maybe we need to come along and spur them along and say, you need to Sabbath. You need to take a break, rest in God. Let him be restful to your soul. Another spiritual discipline, fasting. Right? Abstaining from something for the purpose of growing closer to God or sacrificing that thing for prayer time. Fasting teaches our body to depend on God. It teaches our body that the spiritual reality is more true. It is more meaningful. The spiritual reality is more real than our physical reality. Fasting teaches our body to depend on God. And one more spiritual discipline I'm going to talk quickly about because I just talked about it a couple weeks ago, but tithing. And tithing is to our financial health what fasting is to our spiritual health, our physical health. Tithing teaches our minds to trust in God and our finances in the same way that fasting teaches our bodies to depend on God, and to trust in God physically. The author of Hebrews tells all of us church members to come alongside one another, to come alongside other members and motivate them to these good works. Now, the author finishes these verses with this sentence. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his return is drawing near. So the first part of verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together. Coming back to I'm a church member on page 17, Tom Rader estimates that church membership rosters are inflated by a factor of three. That means that there are three times more people listed as church members than people who actually go to that church. Some people would say that number is overinflated. I think 
he might be spot on or maybe even underestimating that a little bit. There are a lot of people who are members of a church who have nothing to do with that church. Or maybe they're a member of that church and they have nothing to do with that church until some big vote comes up in a business meeting. And then they show up and they make their voices heard. That's not healthy church membership. Healthy church membership means you see church membership, you see the church body as a gift from God. You love the church body and you want to spend time with the church body. Healthy church membership means you are here when you can be, as often as you can be. If you are in town, if you are healthy, then your default position needs to be here when we're meeting. Should not make a habit of just laying out of church. Now I understand we go out of town. I understand you get sick. We don't wanna come and share these sicknesses with each other. You're out of town, it's hard to get back. I don't, you know what? It's, it's okay, it's even good to go occasionally visit other churches. That's good. But your default position, if you're here and you're healthy, should be here with your family of believers, here with the other members of your body. That's where you want to be. If you're a Christian and you're in town and you're healthy enough, you should be in church. There are many metaphors that could be used here. Well, we could go back to Paul's metaphor last week about members of the church being like different parts of a body, right? If you're detaching yourself through... Uh, uh, detaching yourself from the, the church body through lack of attendance, then you're like an amputated leg. You're cut off from the support and life of the rest of the body, and you're negatively impacting that church body. But one of the most memorable metaphors that I've, well, I read, I didn't hear it. I read this me metaphor. Uh, I think I, I saw it on Facebook. Right? I know Facebook has a lot of weird stuff going on, but sometimes God uses it for good, right? Uh, you've probably heard this, or, or you might have even shared this, right? But the story goes like this. There's a pastor of a small country church, and he notices there's a member who hasn't been coming a whole lot lately. And so he goes and he knocks on that member's door and says, hey, you know, good to see you. Uh, and they small talk a little bit real quick. It's a cold day. So this member, this inactive member, invites the pastor in, and they come in and they sit by the fire. And the pastor says, well, you know, we've noticed that you've not been coming lately. You've not been at church in a while. And the member gives, you know, excuse, whatever excuse it is. The pastor just sits there. Eventually, he picks up the fire poker. The pastor picks up the, the fire poker, and he reaches into the fire, and he pulls out one small, red, glowing hot red piece of charcoal and sets it on the side of the mantle, on the side of the, the fireplace, away from the rest of the heat of the fire. Eventually, that piece of coal cools off, and it stops glowing red. After a little while, the pastor gets back up, takes his fire poker, and pushes that coal back into the rest of the fire. And pretty quickly, it starts to glow again, and it gets heated back up by the rest of the, 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 the coals there. I think that's a pretty accurate description, of, or a pretty accurate representation of a church member being detached from the body. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to bring the heat of God's truth to this world. And when we are separated from the church body, that light and that heat fades. We cannot maintain that light and heat on our own. It might be theoretically possible to be a Christian and not regularly, regularly attend church. But realistically, there is no such thing as a spiritually, biblically healthy Christian who makes a habit of skipping the gathering of the body. The only possible exception that I can think of is a missionary 
who is going to a completely lost tribe. Somewhere, a missionary who's going somewhere where there are no other believers. At that point, okay, he's got a, or he or she has a good excuse not to be in regular church attendance. But let me tell you a secret. That missionary longs for the meeting of the body, longs to be in, in communion with other believers. And that missionary is going to be working to, get other, to, to see other people in that community saved so they can start to meet together as a body of believers. A body of believers. There is no such thing as a spiritually, biblically healthy Christian who regularly skips the meeting of the, of the body. Now, the author tells us to encourage one another. Now, this is not the same word that we saw earlier from motivate. Right? This phrase right here is a bridge that connects the previous statement to the next. But I'm going to take a moment real quick and expand on this just a little bit. The author is saying specifically, don't skip church, but encourage one another to be here. It would be an appropriate response to this sermon. If you know of a church member who's not been coming a whole lot, an appropriate response would be for you to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, we miss you. We would love to see you coming back. What's going on? Is there any way I can help? How can I, how can I serve you and, and get you back into a healthy communion with the body? But given the context of this passage, where the author has talked about motivating one another to acts of love and good works or spurring one another on to these acts of love and good works, I don't think this is limited to just encouraging other members to come back to church. If there's a believer who you know is sinning in one way or another, then it's your responsibility to lovingly, it's your responsibility to lovingly encourage them to turn away from that sin lovingly encourage them to repent of that sin. As members of a church, we hold each other accountable to sanctification. The sanctification process is deeply personal, but it is not meant to be done alone. We, to come, we church members hold each other accountable to that sanctification. When we are motivated by love for that person, we genuinely want to see them grow in their sanctification. We humbly and prayerfully confront them about their sin. It's not abuse. That's tough love. Now, a lot of people don't like that word confront in there, but we can confront somebody without being confrontational. We confront them lovingly. We confront them about their sin lovingly. Don't be a jerk. Be a loving church member. Going back to the Great Commission, Jesus tells us not only to make disciples, but also teach them to obey all that I have commanded. That's a big part of disciple making, to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. When you say that you want to be a member of a church, then biblically speaking, you are opening yourself up to be held accountable to obey all that Jesus commands. Now look at how this verse ends. The author of Hebrews couches this whole conversation in the expectation of the end times. When we look throughout the New Testament and throughout all of church history, every generation has expected Jesus's return during their time. Looking at the cultural and historical context of the book of Hebrews, it's easy to see why they would think Jesus is coming back very, very soon in their time. Where the temple had just been destroyed, God's people had been chased out of Jerusalem, Jews and Christians all throughout the Roman Empire were suffering persecution, especially Christians were being targeted 
it'd be easy for them to see, to, to think that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Under those circumstances, as the Lord tarries the day when he returns, one can start to lose hope and wonder about God's faithfulness. Is he really coming back? Does he really love us and protect us how he says he does? But the author of Hebrews says, encourage one another. Don't lose hope. He is coming back. We might have thought he was coming back last year. We might have thought he was coming back in whatever time you thought it was, but he will return. Even if we don't, we, we thought it should have been already. He is coming back. Don't lose hope. See, in America, we have not had to deal with that type of persecution a whole lot, but in other parts of the world, they do. The author tells the audience to encourage other believers when it seems like they're losing sight of that hope. Unfortunately, even without the persecution that millions of Christians throughout history have had to face, we here in America still neglect our obedience and we still lose sight of that hope. So let me remind you, yes, we see brokenness all around us. Sometimes it seems like World War III is ready to kick off, but we are not to stress over it. We know that Jesus is coming back one day and we will reign with him in his perfect eternal kingdom. We know that he is coming back and his disciples will be victorious with him. We know that he is coming back and he will completely eradicate all pain and suffering from this world. Those who are faithful, those who believe in him will be rescued to perfect eternal peace. So when we see other members stressing about these days or forgetting the hope that he gives to us, we remind him the victory, or we remind them of the victory that we have in Jesus. All right, our application. What application do we get from this passage? Our application always comes from our definition of a disciple. And that's where, that's uh, Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All right, so we have three indicators from that. A disciple uh, is growing in knowing, being, and doing, right? So our know is to know what sanctification is, right? So sanctification is the process of becoming more holy. Or put another way, Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. This is not something that we have the power to do on our own because we are sinful. Our sin problem is not merely a surface level problem, but a problem that stems from deep within our bodies. It's like a cancer eating away at us and we have no power to overcome it. But Jesus came and he died on the cross to free us from that sin and to heal us of our sin. Through surrender to him, we have, he gives us, the power to be sanctified. Through faith in him, he not only forgives us of our sin debt, but he sets us free from our bondage to it. The forgiveness and freedom of salvation are immediate, but sanctification takes time. God declares that we are holy, and because of his love, we grow into that. We grow closer to that. Sanctification is a process that we are not called to do alone. Not only do we have to surrender to Jesus, but your church family helps with sanctification. It's a deeply personal process, but it is not a solitary process. Our B application, be accountable to the church. According to the model given in the Bible, members of a local body of believers help each other in this process of sanctification. When we're talking about accountability, that means that I am open to anyone, any member of the church confronting me about my sins. None of us are above that. If we see another member sinning, it is our responsibility to lovingly confront that member. 
That means I have to be open to that. If I'm a member of this church, I am a member of this church. Since I'm a member of this church, all other members of this church have the, the responsibility to hold me accountable to my sin. Again, I want to be clear. We do this lovingly. We lovingly confront other members about the sins in their life. It might be helpful for you to think back to last week's analogy again about church members being different parts of the human body. All right, so let me give a very mild example. Let's say I'm out doing some work and I get a sliver in my hand. Okay, sliver's painful. It's not terrible. It's not the end of the world. Right? Sliver hurts. And I got a sliver in my hand. I could ignore that sliver and it might go away. It might fall out on its own. Or if I ignore that splinter, well, it's at least going to negatively impact my productivity because I'm going to be, in the back of my mind, I'm going to be thinking, ow, that hurts a little bit. Or what am I going to do about this? How am I going to get it out? Or, worst comes to worst, it gets infected, and it causes big problems for the rest of the body. So, if I'm working and I get a splinter in my hand, what do I do? Well, I use the other parts of my body, right? My brain, my eyes, my other hand, my fingers, my arm. I use the other parts of my body to remove the splinter from that hand for the health of this hand and the health of the rest of the body. When we think about accountability in those terms for church membership, I think it becomes clear it is our responsibility for the health of that member and for the health of the church body. We hold each other accountable. We remove the sin from our church body. And our due application is to encourage one another. The other part of, of sanctification, right? Sanctification is about removing sin, but it's also about following God's will more and doing God's will, showing God's love to others. When Jesus came to this earth, not only did he not sin, but he also showed us what it meant to love and care for others. I'm not talking about an emotion or a feeling. I'm talking about action. Several times in scripture, we read that Jesus had compassion on them. There's that feeling, there's that emotion, but then he does something about it. Jesus had compassion on them and then he does something. Yes, we are to have that emotional response. We have compassion for others, but we don't stop there. We show God's love through action to others. All Christians recognize that we are to love and care for people. And I think most of us would agree that most of us could do more of that more often. The biblical model of church membership means that we encourage one another in these actions of love. We hear stories and we see the effects of brokenness and sin all around us in our lives, from so many different sources in our lives. Different people with different personalities and different gifts might be able to help show God's love to these areas of brokenness in our lives. And of course, we encourage each other because the end is drawing near. When we read Revelation and other apocalyptic scripture, there's a lot of stuff in there that sounds a little bit scary, but those passages are not there to scare us. It's there as a warning, but if you read the whole thing, it's a message of hope. There's darkness ahead, but there's light. There's darkness ahead, but victory is coming. We don't, have to, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to worry. We know that Jesus is coming back. And believer, you will be victorious because our king has already, is already the victor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you've given to us. We thank you for the gift of church membership. 
Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who does not know you, I pray that you will touch their hearts, draw them to you, show them the truth of your gospel and help them to surrender to you. Lord, if there's anybody here who's not a member of a church, I pray that you will show them the, the, the truth of the model of church membership. Help them, Lord, to find a church that they can be a member of. Draw them to the church that you want them to be a member of. Lord, you showed us last week that you didn't, you didn't save us just for us to sit on the sidelines, but you saved us for a purpose. And it's through the church where we serve that purpose. So Lord, I pray that you will help us, each and every one of us, to be healthy biblical church members who love the body of the church and seek to serve through her. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I've come to our point of response. You can respond right where you're seated. You can come to the front and pray at the cross. You can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.